0: Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. All right, we're on page one. And you can follow along with me. Now, we're continuing our discussion of the fundamental question, why do we study the word from the Bible. And Elder Nate put it so well. So many of us grew up in churches where the Bible was there. I remember my church, they had a huge Bible on the podium. The pastor had a Bible also. But he would come in and he would read usually one, sometimes two, scriptures from the Bible. Then he would close the Bible, lay it aside, and then he would speak. And I guess whatever was on his mind, he would speak and so forth. If you notice here, as Ellen Eight said, we have the Bible continuously open and we refer to the Bible. And it seems to annoy some people uh, that in our teaching, I would say especially my teaching, because I made a commitment that I would validate everything that I told you by the word, which means that I have to give you scripture. So that's why you have scripture in the word. Now I could get up and I have the ability to get up and talk at least for an hour without knowing anything, Uh, but I would rather you to know the word so you can apply it to your life. So I point out that we can look to the word in the Bible itself for an answer to the basic question that every Christian believer should understand and that is why we study the word in the bible so let's a few few basic facts let's review a few basic facts that we have established already and this is a partial review i can't go over all of the previous three lessons first and foremost we study the word because the scripture in the bible is a revealed, inspired word of god how do we know this because the word tells us this in 2 timothy three sixteen, our foundation scripture says this all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, construction, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This scripture is further amplified in 2 Peter 1, 20, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, which you have right before you. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the scripture is not of any private uh, interpretation. It's not what I say. It's really what the scriptures say. And it's the understanding of the scripture that the Holy Spirit gives us and gives to you that we can understand what the scripture is, but it's not private, private interpretation. Now, I've seen teachers take the scripture and give it private application To sway you to believe a certain way And I'm reading the scripture and I said, that's not what, it not what it says And it certainly is not what it means So we don't try to sway the scripture here We try to help explain it to you Amen. Amen. Now again What these two scriptures mean Is that God's spirit That's the Holy Spirit Breathed into and inspired and directed The writers of the Bible To write what was written that's why it's the Word of God. The Word in the Bible is God speaking to us. Now, in the old days, and you see it in the Old Testament, God spoke directly to men from time to time. You know he spoke to Abraham. You know he spoke to, well, obviously you know he spoke to Adam, the first one. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Moses and many, many others. And in other cases, we know that God spoke to man through the prophets, and we have a lot of the writings of the prophets in the Bible. But today, God basically speaks to us through His Word. And the Word that's in the Bible. And that is the main reason we study the Bible, because that's the revealed Word that God has for us today. Now, I pointed out last time that, we, that the Word is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago because of the immutability, immutability, the unchangeable nature of God. God does not change. So the God today was a God who was there 2,000, 3,000, before the beginning of time, before the beginning of the world. So what is important in learning is to learn how to apply the unchanging Word of God to our life, which is ever-changing with challenges and circumstantial things that we have to face. Page 2. Now, before we get to the secret of how to apply the Word, it's important to see this unchanging nature of God as revealed in the Word. As I say, everything that we teach can be documented by the Word. So look at Malachi 3.6. You have it right there. This is God speaking Himself, He says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Case closed. That's all that scripture says. But you don't need this anymore. I do not change. I am the Lord, I do not change. But we see in the New Testament, God's unchanging character declared in a number of places. But I'm citing James chapter 1, verse 17. You have it right there in front of you. And it tells us this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights. Father of lights is God, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The statement, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning, simply means that God does not change in any way at any time. We also know from the word that Christ Jesus does not change, as he is one with the Father. He and the Father, in fact, he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. And that tells us this in 1 John, chapter 5, verse 7. You have it right there. You can follow along. Which says this, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, the Word is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And then we look at Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, which declares, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and Forever, which again simply means that Jesus does not change. This is why we study the word in the Bible, so we can know that the love God expressed for us from the beginning of time and the gifts and promises and commands and declarations and exhortations and all of the other things that we find in the Bible, written over 2,000 years ago in some cases, remain unchanged today. Further, we also know that God does not change because God exists outside the boundaries of time. God is not in time as we are. He doesn't have morning, noon, evening, and the next day, in the next month, and the next year. God lives outside the boundaries of time. To change, God would have to be found to live in a given time period or a time frame. And that simply is not true. We know from Psalm forty-one thirteen that our God is from everlasting to everlasting which means that it has no ending no beginning only an eternal now God lives in an eternal now and by the way so do we we see God operating on our behalf outside the boundaries of time in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 and I'm going to read it and you can follow along it states it's God speaking God. It's about God. It's God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us, his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus, when? Before time began. So in order to give it to us before time began, it means that he was outside of time. So on. We see here that God's purpose and actions for us, an action for us was established before time began. He was clearly operating outside the confines and constraints of time. Now, at the bottom, while I noted that God does not change, I pointed out that at the same time, any objective study of history, and we have history, we have it written, we have it from before Christ, and we have it down to this day. We see that human nature does not change. We had wars and killing back then. We have it today. We had stealing. We had adultery. We had envy. We had jealousy. We had all of these things. Then we have all of these today. Now, the range of human conduct and personal behavior, I'm at the bottom of the page, that the word in the Bible spoke to Over 2,000 years ago is the same range of conduct that we see in in the human condition today. So I give you a partial listing at the top of page three of that conduct. And this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, because the Bible really deals with everything. When you really get into the word, it deals with everything. But here's just a a listing of the conditions today that the Bible also dealt with over 2,000 years. It's life, death, murder, suicide, sickness, healing, Poverty, wealth, ambition and arrogance War and peace Success and failure Procrastination Putting off things until Whenever Envy, jealousy, work, laziness, love, hatred Charity Charity as in giving Integrity, diligence, wisdom, knowledge Understanding, focus, vision, planning Fear, worry and and anxiety The family, marriage, adultery Thinking, speaking suffering, disobedience, stealing, making mistakes, redemption, reconciliation, bad judgment, sin, honor, and dishonor, earthly things and spiritual things. The Bible speaks to all of these and more just as it did over 2,000 years ago. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse nine sums it up this way. That's in the second paragraph there. Ecclesiastes one, nine says this. That which has been is what will be. Wars were and they will be. Hopefully peace was and peace will be. Uh, and, that, and there is nothing new under the sun. That Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read the whole thing. That which has been done, I mean that which has been is what will be. That which is done will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that you can come up with that hasn't existed before. So, again, there's no thing or condition today that is new and did not exist before. Now, we know that technology changes, and science and vision uncovers some previously hidden truths. And I say uncover because when we say that somebody invented something or discovered something, you know how God formed the world. When he formed the world, he put everything in it. So if we don't see it at a given time, it's because no one has uncovered it, so on. Apostle Price gives the illustration of the fact that there were 747 airplanes parked outside the Garden of Eden. And you say, how is that so? They existed, but no one had seen them yet in terms of the vision of bringing them into manifestation and so forth there's nothing that we can quote create because we don't create anything nothing we can come up with today that doesn't already exist the reason is we couldn't come up with it if it didn't exist the universe the world was finished when God rested on the seventh day he put everything in the world that he was ever going to put in the world and so if we find something new it's because it was there already not that you brilliant brilliant mind came up with something that didn't exist before so so in any way we uncover some things about the world but human behavior unfortunately remains the same i always say that we can land a man on the moon and bring him back but we cannot teach humans how to get along with one another so the word of the bible definitely speaks to the human condition and to us today and since god does not change We know, and this is really important for us believers, we know that his love, his purposes, his gifts, his promises, his commands, his writings, his warning, his declarations, and his exhortations also do not change. We study the word because the Bible is packed with all of these. God's love, purposes, gifts, promises, commands, warnings, and exhortations that are designed for us to apply and enrich our lives today. As I said last time, I would tell you what you should do with each of these major comprehensive benefits from God. These are not all of them, but these are some of the major ones. Love, his love. You should embrace his love. Purposes, understand his purposes for us. Commands, obey his commands. Exhortations, follow his exhortations. Warnings, heed his warnings, declarations, rejoice in his declarations. Promises, believe and receive his promises. Gifts, know and accept his gifts. Now, I began the discussion before on God's love and on his purposes. And even though I have a special section in this message later on God's gifts to us, top of page four, all the benefits I just enumerated above should be seen as gifts from God. Again, we study the word in the Bible because these scriptures contain God's expression of love, They contain his divine purposes, his direct warnings, his explicit commands, his pointed exhortations, his splendid decorations, his precious promises, and his manifold gifts. You want to know about all of those. Knowledge and application of these is what leads us to the victorious overcoming life. That's why you want to know about them, and to the life more abundantly, as Ellen Nate spoke of, that Jesus declares in John 10.10. 10. Remember, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, meaning Jesus, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So we'll discuss later how we apply these words from, the, from, from uh, God. Now, in our last discussion, I talked about God's everlasting love for us and began the discussion of his purposes, which include his plan for redemption and his plan to reconcile us to himself. That's, this is in the second paragraph. Now we know that redemption and reconciliation have already been accomplished, and are embodied, by the way, in the simple words of John three sixteen: that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So redemption and reconciliation have been accomplished for you when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now I began the discussion of God's love for us because it's from this love that all of his other expressions and benefits flow. It's because he loved us that he gives us commands, that he gives us warnings, that he gives us declarations of promises and gifts and so forth. It all flows from this love. And this fact is simply this. Oh, I'm sorry. What I didn't say is this. I started that discussion but I thought it important that we pause and reintroduce a fundamental fact. And you've heard teachings on this fundamental fact before, certainly from Apostle Price. And this fact is this. You can study the word and learn about all of the great gifts and benefits God has given us, but it will do you little good. I would actually go so far as to say it'll do you no good if you do not know how to apply these to your life. And that's what we're gonna get into, uh, at least in an introductory way in the message today. Now, let's discuss the secret of how to apply the word to enrich our lives. How to receive and apply God's manifold gifts and promises takes us right back to the importance of faith and how faith works. And we have the preeminent teacher on this subject in Apostle Price, so I don't have to reinvent the wheel Uh, If you don't have his book, How Faith Works, you should really get his book. Now, Apostle Price has told us many times that after salvation, the most important thing in the believer's life is faith. After you're born again, the most important thing in your life is faith. Faith is critical because our God is a faith God, meaning that the things in his kingdom are appropriated. And received by us on earth through faith we bring him to us through faith now the word declares the faithfulness of God and there are so many scriptures that point this out but one of my favorites is found in lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 23 go to the top of page 5 verse 22 it says through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed Because his compassions fail not, verse 23, because they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, when we hear the word faithful, we tend to think of the dictionary meaning, if we're just correct, that says faithful means to be true to something or somebody, to be reliable, steadfast, dependable, to be one who can be counted on. These are all true. True and are among the attributes of the faithfulness of God. But today I want you to see, if you haven't before, see that in its purest form, faithful means full of faith. Faithful, full of faith. God is full of faith. It is the same, we, the same way as we see hateful. Hateful is a word which means full of hate. Sorrowful means full of sorrow. So I want you to see faithful in the same way that you see those. Faithful means full of faith. Now, as an aside, I just point to see here because you may be looking for it and you won't find it. Why we don't have a word in our vocabulary that's loveful, it doesn't exist. And don't you find that strange? That doesn't list that would mean that we would be full of love. But that word doesn't exist. Now, God is full of faith. And his desire is that we imitate him and also be full of faith. And to be full of faith means that you trust God's word in all and through all. This exhortation to trust God, we see clearly stated in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, which you have right there before you. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Trusting the Lord here in Proverbs means to trust God's word and acknowledging him in all your ways means to acknowledge his word and what the word says about the situation and you will be directed to take the right path. To acknowledge his word is to imitate God who magnifies his word above all his name and we see that stated in Psalm 138 too. Now having faith in and trusting God's word will help you walk by Bible faith and not by sight. Because you really are walking by what the word says, not by sight. And so, In fact, we are told in Hebrews eleven six, 6, the bottom of page five, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's to please God. Believers should know and take special notice of this impossibility to please God without faith. But we know that God is a just God and he would not impose that requirement that we have faith to please him without assuring us of the ability to have the quality of faith that we can use to seek, find, and know him. So we see that at the top of page six. In Romans 12, 3, very familiar scripture, we find that God has dealt, meaning he has given to each one the measure of faith. It's the measure of faith. Some scriptures say a measure of faith, but it's more correctly stated the measure of faith. And why is that so? Because if he's given everyone a measure of faith, a measure could be. A pint to you, a quart to her, a gallon to this one, an ocean full to somebody else. The measure of faith means the same quantity of faith. Now, I want you to listen to this next paragraph carefully because I don't think everybody understands this. So when you become a born-again believer, you receive the same measure of faith from God as every other believer. That includes the great men of God, the great men of faith. In fact, you receive the same faith as Jesus Christ. Let's remember here also that this supernatural faith of God, we all receive at salvation, never leaves us. Now, you don't always hear this. Once you receive it, it's there. This fact is not always stated, and you may not, and you may fail to use your faith, but it is nonetheless there in you. And faith is that part of the fruit of the Spirit we receive that is listed in Galatians 5, 23. There in Galatians 5, and 20, 23, the listing of the fruit of the Spirit is given, and one of the key ones is faith. But it is up to each person, and this is the important thing, to use and develop this God-given faith by exercising it. Exercise is an activity, and just as physical exercise can grow body strength, exercising one's faith can grow and add strength to one's faith. So, in the word, we see the various ways to add more strength to our faith through activity. We begin with the truth stated in Romans 1.17. That says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is written, The just shall live by faith. Living is an activity. And it's something that we do every day. This is more appropriately personalized in Habakkuk. 2 4. Habakkuk 2 4. Aren't you glad you don't have to look these up? <laughs> Habakkuk 2 4, which says, But the just shall live by his faith. You can't live by anyone else's faith, only by your own. You can't live by your husband's faith, your wife's faith. We can't live by apostles' faith. So you can only live by your own faith. Now, the just. And I'm I'm doing this because I want you to clearly understand this. You've been taught this before, but I sort of summarize it in the next paragraph. Who are the just? The just are the believers who are in Christ Jesus due to their personal salvation. When you're born again, you become, you're baptized into the body of Christ, and that's where your justification uh, stands. And just means J-U-S-2 means being declared righteousness by Christ Jesus. Now, righteousness means right standing with God. And we hear that all the time. It means right standing with God. But I want you to know that what that right standing means. It means that God no longer sees you as a sinner, but sees you as a son. As a born-again believer, with your right standing, you can now approach and stand before God as Abba Father... Because of this right standing and justification made possible through Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't stand before God as a worthless sinner. You stand before God as a son. That's right standing. Now, in terms of action, Apostle Price reminds us that the words, the just shall live by faith, tells us that faith is a lifestyle, a way of living every day, all the time. Apostle Price further defines, and down at the bottom of page 6, faith is acting on what you believe. Faith is an act, meaning it involves action. I, I like to say that faith is an action verb. And every mention of faith, in this sense, requires action. Faith requires action. It is important that we understand this action component of faith. And I find it expressed very well and explained very well in James chapter 2, verses 14 and 20. That's James which is back towards Revelations, but you don't have to go there because you have it right here. James 2 14, 20. We're going to read that starting at verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone, someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Well, I'll give you the answer to that is no. The answer is no. 15. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, top of page seven, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What does it profit what you say to them? Nothing. 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 20, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, at first glance, when you read the scripture, you think it's telling you that for your faith to be of any good, you have to do some good deeds and so forth. And, you, and at first blush, it almost appears that that's what it's saying. Uh, but that's really not what it means. What I want you to to hear and i have it here one of the best renditions of these scriptures in james on faith and action that we can find and it's from the weymouth new testament now this is a bible uh, that you don't always hear a lot about but it's really one of the best translations of the bible that's richard francis weymouth w-a-y-m-o-u-t-h every uh before you And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him because you don't hear the name that much. Weymouth lived a good while ago from 1822 to 1902 in England. And he was a philologist, English schoolmaster, Baptist layman, and Bible student. Now, philology is the study of literary texts, their language, their authenticity, and their original form. And it involves, meaning the analyzing of it involves the use of linguistics and literary criticism but it's a study of literary text. Weymouth took the Bible in its original Greek and translated it into basic English. So he did one of the, if you're following on, he did one of the earliest modern language translations of the New Testament called Modern Speech New Testament, known more, more widely as the Weymouth New Testament. And this was published in 1903, a year after his death. It is an early and excellent modern translation of the New Testament from the original Greek text. And he renders James 2, 17, 20 in the following manner. He says in verse 17, so also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, that stands for works, and has, it has no life in it. In other words, faith not accompanied by obedience has no life in it so long as it stands alone. If you say, I have great faith. I've been in the church 40 years. I have accumulated so much faith that I don't know what to do with it. But if you just have faith and nothing else, it will merit you nothing. That's what he's saying there. 18, nay, someone will say, you have faith. I have actions. Prove, meaning show me or show to me your faith from corresponding action." And I will prove or show mine to you by my action. Faith from corresponding action. Faith without works is faith without corresponding action. And I'll explain that a little bit later. 19, it's top of page 8. He says, you believe that God is one and you are quite right. Even the evil spirits also believe this and shudder twenty but idle bolster, are you willing to be taught how it is that faith apart from obedience is worthless? Faith apart from obedience, faith apart from accompanying acts is worthless. Faith without works is dead really means that faith without corresponding actions. Corresponding actions means actions according to your faith. Without corresponding obedience to the word, to the word that is believed, is dead. Your faith must be matched with actions that correspond to your faith. The word in James 2.19 reminds us that even the demons or evil spirits believe in God. Now, why did he put that there? It's to show us that they have belief. They believe in God, but they don't act on his word. They don't live by his word, and they don't do what he says, but they believe in God. So when you say, I believe in God, what does that mean if you don't do something? So they don't obey God's word. Their belief in God is not matched by any actions corresponding to this belief. As a believer, if you say, I believe in God, but don't obey his word, then what you learn in the Bible, what you believe, is meaningless. Now, Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar is an example of faith matched by corresponding actions of obedience. And we see this. Again, see, James goes on to explain what it means in James 2, 21, 22. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? 22. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Now, you recall the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, this aspect of of the story where God told Abraham to take his only son Isaac and offer him up as a burnt sacrificial offering in other words to take him up on the altar kill him and offer him as a sacrificial offering and Abraham obeyed God's word you remember the story he takes uh, the son up to the spot that God had said that I will show you and he took the other uh, you know men along with him who who brought the things that they needed But as Abraham drew his knife and was about to slay his son on the altar, an angel of the Lord intervened and called from heaven, telling Abraham not to harm his son. So we see that Abraham was totally obedient to God's word and was ready to sacrifice his son uh, through that act of obedience. This act of obedience was his corresponding action to his faith and belief. And that's a good example. In other words, if you believe God, God's word, God's word told him to do this. He believed that he followed the word. But he believed God based on something that God had, I don't have it written down here, but I'll just tell you this, that God told him earlier. God had told him that he would be the father of many nations and so forth. He knew that if Isaac was killed, how could he be the father of many nations? So what he knew is that even if he killed his son, as God had ordered, some kind of way God would be able to raise his son back up to life because he would need his son. And as a matter of fact, he obviously believed this because when you read the whole story, you know, he's with a couple of men who have uh, donkeys and packs on the donkeys and so forth. And he tells them, you stay here with the mules and the supplies and the lad and I will return to you. But you remember, he was getting ready to kill his son. So he must have believed that God would raise his son back up. That's how powerful the story is and how powerful his belief and his actions were. and So So, at the bottom, as I've said over and over again, God speaks to us in his word in the Bible. And this is the word he gives to us today, just as he gave his word directly to Abraham in Genesis. Our faith in God's word has to be matched by corresponding action. That is action corresponding to our faith. And this is what I want you to understand today because I'm not sure this is always understood. We must be obedient to God's word as Abraham was. Now, by way of an example, the top of page nine, I give you some examples from the word. And when I did this, these were off the top of my head. There are so many others. But... If you believe and have faith in the word of Philippians four nineteen, which says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, then your corresponding actions would be to sow a seed, expecting a harvest, and to refrain from worry or speaking negatively about your finances. Sowing is a Bible way of reaping what you are seeking. The old saying, if you have a need, sow a seed has real truth in it. It's no different from sowing apple seeds to produce apples on a tree if you want apples. You reap what you sow. So if you want finances, you have to give. All right. So so your speech would be something like this as I say here. Father, I believe that all my needs are met and thank you for your assuring words in Philippians 4.19. Speech, remember, is also action. Now, in the event of a health challenge, if you believe, as Ellen Nate cited this morning, by his stripes you were and are healed, your action corresponding to your faith might be to get into the healing line and have a church come into agreement with you for your healing. You can also lay hands on yourself and confess with your mouth, thank you, Father, I believe, I receive my healing, and expect the manifestation. The expectation of the manifestation is evidence of your belief in the scripture. You expect the manifestation. And you continue to express daily, thank you, Father, I believe that I'm healed until you receive the healing manifestation. This is one step you take. There are other steps you can do. As Apostle Price has explained again, and he did this last week when I was out uh, at Crenshaw, that no one can see your faith. No one can see your faith. You can't describe to me what faith looks like. You can't describe to me what my faith looks like and I can't describe to you what your faith looks like because you can't see faith. The only, you can only see what your faith has produced. One can only see your actions that correspond to your faith and that is why Apostle talks about how he and Dr. Betty gave their way out of debt and moved into prosperity by sowing. Apostle had faith and believed in the law of sowing and reaping, as stated in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6, which we cite here all the time, and believed in the windows of heaven blessing that would open up by his observance of Malachi 3.10. He believed in this, so he started sowing seed. Sowing was his corresponding action to his faith in the Word. And he tells us about these experiences this way because... This is showing faith in action. Similarly, Dr. Betty tells the story of her triumph over cancer and how she stood in faith on certain healing scriptures. One of these scriptures that came to her while she lay ill in the hospital was John 11:4, 4. And this is Jesus speaking. And the scripture says this, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this was Dr. Betty was in a lot of pain, and suffering from this severe attack of cancer, and can you imagine the comfort these scriptures actually came to her? and so forth? Well, she stood on these scriptures and so many other healing scriptures in the Bible, and you see a lot of these recorded in her book, you know, uh, through the water, through the fire, her triumph over cancer, and so forth. But her corresponding action was to go on living her life and eventually returning to church work and undergoing medical treatment, including chemotherapy, believing That you're healed doesn't mean that you don't take medical treatment, that you don't take your medication and so forth. So many churches tell you that if you have faith in your healing, throw away the pills, throw away the crutches, throw away this. That is not what we teach Uh, and so on. Sometimes the medical arts, God facilitated the development of the medical arts, the medical arts, the healing arts to help us And it's really there to help people who don't have faith. Because can you imagine if you don't have any faith, you'll just perish if you don't have a hospital to go to or a doctor to see and so forth. So, but she did all of this with the attitude that she would not die. She believed the scriptures. Now turn to page 10. Now apostles' action in sowing was an expression of him acting on what he believed. His act of sowing is also an example of Apostles' definition of faith, definition of faith, which is faith is acting on what you believe. You believe what the Bible says about sowing and reaping, about the winners of heaven blessing, so you act and you sow, and so on. Now, to help you see what faith and corresponding action looks like, I put together the following equation, which is very simple, F plus CA equals R. Faith plus corresponding action, and that's action that corresponds to your faith, leads to and equals results. Faith plus corresponding action leads to results. Just below that, faith minus corresponding actions leads to zero, zero results. If you don't add something to your faith, you're going to end up with zero. Again, faith is the most important thing for the believer after salvation but you have to understand that faith is not a stand-alone spiritual power that will get you anything by itself let me repeat that faith is not a stand-alone spiritual power that will get you anything by itself now we can actually create another equation to convey the same fact W plus O equals S the word plus obedience leads and equals success Obeying God's word equals or results in success in whatever you believe in the word for. Not adding obedience to the word, therefore, would result in no success. As the Weymouth New Testament Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 17, so also faith, if it is unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it, so long as it stands alone. Faith standing by itself, all you have is your empty declarations of faith. Now, the early experience of Abraham in chapter 22 in Genesis was a good example of Abraham's obedience to God's word that led to great success. And let's take a look at the success that followed. And that's recorded in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 and 18. You have it right there in front of you. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time. Remember, the first time he called to him and said, Don't harm your son. The second time he calls out of heaven and says, By myself, I have sworn, says the Lord. He's telling Abraham what the Lord has commissioned him to say. Says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. 17, blessing will I bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham obeyed his word. This is the successive results. So I didn't do it, but obviously W minus O is going to equal O or no success. God's voice for us is his word in the Bible today, and he stands ready to bless us when we are obedient because we know who he is. I use Apostle Price as a modern-day example of someone who has been greatly blessed because of his obedience to God's word. Every believer can be blessed out of obedience just as Apostle Price because God is no respecter of persons. You just have to obey as well. Now, the third formula, word plus obedience equals success, is a good reminder of us of this. And you're not always aware of this next thing, so pay attention to this. It reminds us that faith and word are interchangeable. You got that? Faith, F-A-I-T-H and word, meaning the word are interchangeable. Where you find the word faith, you can change it to the word and vice versa. An example of this interchangeability is seen in Paul's discussion of the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We see In Ephesians chapter 16, Ephesians 6.16, Paul says this, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Paul could have stated it this way, taking the shield of faith, which is the word of God, just as he says in Ephesians 6.17, the next scripture, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The shield is a word, the sword is a word. You see, the shield of faith is also the shield of the word. In verse 16, the word is defensive in the shield. And in verse 17, the word is offensive, an offensive weapon in the sword that you use to attack with, so forth. So this is all here and I'm giving it to you so you can go back and read it and digest it because you need to understand uh, these things that we're saying, this is just introductory to this, but, but if you don't understand these fundamentals about faith needing to have corresponding action and obedience, then you could come and listen to the word for, for the next hundred years. It's not going to do you any good. Now, all the actions we hear regarding faith in the word, such as, I'm down to next to the last paragraph on 11, such as, be doers of the word and not hearers only, the just shall live by faith. Walk by faith and not by sight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is acting on what you believe and living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These can all be summed in this simple phrase, act as if. Believers need to act as if the word of God is true and that what they believe and have faith for is true. When you say you have faith, you're saying that you believe in God's word. When you act in faith on the word, you are acting as if the word is true. Now, let me say a little bit about the importance of acting as if. The phrase act as if, and I'm just gonna give you a distillation of this. Act as if is actually a contribution that we in America and the world derived many years ago from the founder of American psychology, William James. This is the top of page 12. By way of background, William James was born in 1842 and lived until 1910, so he lived some time ago. He was an eminent Harvard University philosopher and psychologist, and he was the one who introduced the first psychology class in the country, a psychology class at Harvard, and is considered the father of American psychology. And he's regarded as the most influential philosopher that the United States has ever produced. William James said this. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. Act as if what you do makes a difference. It does. He also wrote this. We can act as if there were a God, feel as if we were free, consider nature as if she were full of special designs, lay plans as if we were to be immortal, and we find that these words do make a genuine difference in our mortal life. Now, as it relates to our topic of studying and applying the word, let me point out that William James was also an exponent of the importance of one's personal religious experience in shaping one's life. He did extensive studies on the impact of personal religious experience on the life of the individual. And these studies were first published in a book entitled Varieties of Religious Experience, published way back in 1902, but you can actually still get a copy of this book today. I got my first copy of this in the early 1970s Uh, James also speaks of his own experience, which he described as his personal encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, some religious leaders say that James' concept of act as if is a contribution he made to Christianity. And actually, I see it the other way around. Over the years, I have found that so much of what we see in human and organizational development and studies, books and psychological modalities, are actually traceable to the word in the Bible. And let me give you a few quick examples. For example, the act as if theme of William James can be seen in many scriptures in the Bible. Here are a few examples. When Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty four, 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us to act as if we have them at the time we pray. That's what this scripture means. In our foundation scripture on faith, Hebrews 11.1, we are told now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This is saying to act as if the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen that are represented by faith and the word, that these actually exist. Similarly, when you read in Romans 4.17, that God calls those things which do not exist as though they did God is telling us to act as if those things exist. He calls those things, that, that, uh, he calls those things which do not exist as so though they did. He's saying act as if they exist. And he gives us an example of how to use speech and the words to bring things into existence. When God calls, he uses words. So we must do the same thing. But when calling, we must act as if they already exist. Now, in reality, by the way, they do exist in the spiritual realm. When we're calling for them in our prayer and in our affirmations and in our standing on the word, we are in faith, we're bringing them from the spiritual world into this physical world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we're told, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Walking by faith, which is walking by and relying on the word, is telling us to act as if the word is true that you're standing and walking by. When Apostle Price defines faith as acting as what you believe, he's really saying faith is acting as if what you believe is true. We see this act as if in Isaiah 46.10, where God God declares the end from the beginning. This This is acting as if your end goal is already achieved. You see it at the end. You're acting as if it's already achieved. And you see it as now achieved. And I'll skip Habakkuk. You can read that on your own. Uh, But let me drop down into the paragraph, the third line where it says the words in Habakkuk. I just want you to see this one because this is God speaking. In Joel, J-O-E-L 310, God says, let the weak say, I am strong. What is he saying? God is saying, act as if you're strong so forth. So the Bible is full of examples which we believers can use to act as if the word of God is true. And we're helped. And there's so much other, and I'm going to go into more later. But I just wanted to give you this introduction today. We are helped in this acting as if the word of God is true by what Jesus tells us about the word of God. He tells us this in John 17, 17. And he's here, he's praying to the Father. And he's praying for his disciples and followers and he tells the fathers uh, sanctify them father and also he says sanctify them father by your truth and he says your word is truth God's word is truth so the secret of applying the word to your life is to act as if the word of God in the Bible is true and a paraphrase of words of Henry James if you act as if the word is true and combine it with corresponding actions, it shall be and become true unto you. Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media or you can give us a call at 212 749